You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. Hi, my name is Matthew, and I'm a first-year student studying science. Tonight's reading is from Isaiah 45, verses 1 to 14. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. You heavens above, rain down my righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, What are you making? Does your work say, The potter has no hands? Woe to the one who says to a father, What have you begotten? Or to a mother, What have you brought to birth? This is what the Lord says the Holy One of Israel and its Maker, concerning things to come. Do you question me about my children, or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth, and created mankind on it. My own hands stretched out the heavens, I marshalled their starry hosts. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness, I will make all his ways straight, he will rebuild my city and set my exiles free, but not for a price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. This is what the Lord says. The products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and those tall Sabaeans, they will come over to you and will be yours. They will trudge behind you, coming over to you in chains. They will bow down before you and plead with you, saying, Surely God is with you, and there is no other. There is no other God. Um, yeah, uh, welcome back to another talk in our Isaiah series. Um, my name is Stu, if I haven't met you before, um, and I'm one of the staff workers here who works uh, as our you know, full-time job along with the student leadership um, to help uh, serve the club in gospel proclamation of the campus. That's who I am. Let's get into Isaiah. So the question before us tonight is, uh, why Cyrus? Why does God use Cyrus? Just imagine, and it's, it's a horrible thought, but just imagine that someone 
transfers courses from Melbourne Uni to Monash. A lot of people want to do that, I think. So this lucky one gets in to Monash. And they've, uh, she's joined us second semester. And the elections are coming up for new committee. And somehow or other, she rustles up enough support to go for president. And she becomes president. Yes, that's right. That's the right response. Gasp. <laughs> Someone from Melbourne Uni has come over here. They've got to see you over there. She's come over here, second semester, straight in to the role of, it is ridiculous, to the role of president. And it gets worse. Uh, things are really successful under her leadership. <laughs> and so uh, she keeps on doing other courses so she can remain as president. She has a five-year stint. <laughs> and uh, we see unprecedented fruit. 30 people becoming Christians every year, just on the local side. It explodes. There's like 500 on a, on a low night at TNT Hub. <laughs> Uh, she's just done such a stellar job of getting everyone in order. And then, of course, the inevitable happens. Melbourne University Christian Union claims this club oh. and says, you're a branch of our ministry now. From now on, you'll be called Melbourne University Christian Union at Monash. Oh. It's awful. <laughs> And you might say to God, if that happened, God, why? Why are you doing this? I'm, I'm glad for the conversions. I'm glad for the God is that. I'm glad for the gospel presence. But really? Someone from Melbourne? It's anathema. And here we have, now, now that you're feeling the weight of that, the horror, I've just put you in the shoes of the... Israelites, I think successfully, as they hear Isaiah prophesy that Cyrus, the great, powerful king of the Persian Empire, he is going to be used by God to save God's people who at this moment, at the time that Isaiah is prophesying, they're in captivity in Babylon. I'm going to use King Cyrus, the up-and-coming new world power, to bring you back home to me. And for them, that's a ridiculous thought. And listen to how Cyrus is described here in Isaiah verse, uh, chapter 44, verse 27, right through to 45, verse 3. Listen just carefully to how it describes Cyrus. So he cut into a bit of a... Uh, a section here um, where Isaiah is talking about God's strength and his might and his, we sort of, so we butt in here at verse 27. Who says to the watery deep, says Isaiah, prophesies Isaiah. Who says to the watery deep, be dry and I'll dry up your streams. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. Notice all the titles he's given. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt of the temple, let its foundations be laid. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him. 
and to strip kings of their armour, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. What an extraordinary description. Cyrus. God is going to call him the shepherd. He's going to call him the anointed one. And it says here that Cyrus will be responsible for God's people through whom salvation will come to the world. He is the one who will be the catalyst to rebuilding Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple. Cyrus will accomplish this. But he's a pagan king. He doesn't believe in God. He knows little about the Jewish religion. God's people have been taught that the Gentile nations are unclean. They are clean. If you want to know God, you have to come into Jerusalem. You have to come into their temple to meet with God. And here is this foreign king, ordinarily the ones who might try and oppress Israel, now being used by God as a salvation figure, my shepherd, my anointed one. The title that is ordinarily used in the Bible for king is now being, God's king is now being applied to Cyrus. So the question is, why? Why is God using this king to perform this mighty act of salvation to bring his people back to him? in his land under his rule. We'll get to that in a moment. But first of all, I want to remind you that we are doing this series and the meta question, the big question is, um, how can we get to Zion? And it's really important to ask that question and to look at what Isaiah says about it because Zion is what you long for in your heart. And Zion is what I long for in my heart. It's a place where we are plugged in to our purpose a deep, meaningful reason for being. It's a place where we have peace and joy and life to the full. A place where we love and we are loved and where there's no corruption or scandal or death or chaos or disorder. That's what Zion is and it's, it's what we all long for. And it's what we're all trying to get to one way or another, isn't it? And it's important because I think it's what we built for, I love C.S. Lewis's argument on this. He says, you know, um, uh, we generally have desires because there's a complementary fulfillment. Uh, we thirst because we need water. We hunger because we need food. We feel lonely because we're built for relationships, aren't we? We desire sex because God actually made us to have that intimate relationship between man and woman, that's how he designed it. The longings we have are usually attached to some sort of fulfillment or some reason for existing. And the fact that we long for eternity, that we long for purpose, that we long for joy, that we long for life that really is life, would suggest that we're built for that. And John Lennon says that what we need is less religion, less God, the Bible says, Isaiah says, no, we need more religion. We need more God. We don't understand God. We don't understand religion. That's what we've really got to get a handle on if we want to get to Zion, if we want to live the life that we were built for. And so how can we get to Zion is this pressing question that every person on campus should know the answer to. And that's why I'm glad you're here. And that's why we, at this particular section, looking at this particular chapter and asking this question, why Cyrus? Because it's building a picture of what it means 
for God who's made everything and holds everything together, who loves us, to bring us home. So let's get back to this question. Why Cyrus? Why this foreign king who's unclean, evil, doesn't really know God? Well, the first reason, there are two reasons here, I think, in this passage. The first reason is because all the nations, <coughs> excuse me, all the nations serve God's salvation. All the nations serve God's work and plan of salvation. Look at what it says there in verses uh, 4 to 5. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, that's Israel, another passage where it's calling Israel God's servant. For the sake of Jacob, Israel, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name, that's Cyrus, and bestow on you a title of honour. Though you did not acknowledge me, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. Do you see that repeated phrase there? Though you have not acknowledged me, twice. Though, Cyrus, you have not acknowledged me, you don't believe in the God of Israel, of Jacob. Even though that is the case, I will summon you, I will give you a title of honour and you will serve my servant. You will save my people for the, you, you will bring them back for the sake, you'll work for the sake of my servant uh, Jacob. All the, all the nations, the great king of the world's power of the moment, he will be used by God to bring his people home. All the nations serve God's salvation plan. And that's because it's even bigger than that. Verses 7 and 8. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. You heavens above, rain down my righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open up wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Look, it's talking in cosmic terms here, right? And look what it says. Rain down my righteousness. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish with it. It's talking in cosmic terms. He's saying the whole world, all of creation, not just the nations, the whole of the created order is a stage for God's salvation plan. That's what it's all here for. It's all for that reason. That's its reason for being. It's incredible, isn't it? You know, when you are, uh, I don't know if you watch the Oscars, it's definitely sort of taken a dive in the last 10 years, I would say, but, but it's still one of the biggest events in the world, one of the biggest televised events in the world. There are millions upon millions of people tuning in just to watch this one night. There's so much palaver, right? The red carpet, the paparazzi, the stars, the MCs. There are bands. There's this incredible sort of space with amazing stage decorations. And there's all this elaborate organisation behind the scenes. And it all whittles down, doesn't it, to the thing we all want to see is the, the best actor, the best actress. Who's going to get the Oscar? It all sort of hones in on that thing. All this stuff going on for months, even years, 
to make sure it runs smoothly, and they still sometimes give it to the wrong person. Unbelievable. <laughs> but it's all about that one moment, right? All that organisation. It's hard to believe, and that's what it's saying here. Everything, the birds flying through the air, the streams running through the mountains, the grass growing, the conversations on the bus, the bus driver, the bus, all of it, everything, going to the movies, eating McDonald's, everything that is, is a backdrop. It's the reason it exists is that God's salvation plan might work itself out. So why Cyrus? Because God is making clear, this is one of these uh, big signs, signposting in the Old Testament before it's fleshed out in the New Testament, that this is the case. God is making clear here in Isaiah that God's salvation includes everyone and everything. There is nothing that exists that will not and is not serving his salvation plan. That's what he's making clear. And secondly, why Cyrus? Well, why Cyrus? That all the nations may see my salvation. Why Cyrus? Because all the nations serve my salvation. Secondly, that all the nations might see my salvation. Look here in verses 4 and... Five, no, sorry, verses uh, 6. Verse 6. I will strengthen you, he's talking to Cyrus, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. God is pulling off such a remarkable salvation event that people can't but acknowledge that the God of Israel is the one true living God. And of course, you can, you can expect scholars to to and fro on this and debate on this uh, because, uh, of course, in the scholarly institutions, they're never going to believe that someone could actually prophesy the future. But there's no reason to not read this as it's written, that is, as a prophecy before the event happened, saying Cyrus is going to bring God's people back to Jerusalem, and that's exactly what happened. And God is saying, I do these public, universal, I pull off these salvation events that really there's no excuse, that everyone may know, everyone can see. I formed a nation out of, Abraham, out of Abraham, that one person. I delivered them miraculously from Egypt. I have fended off all of your enemies, not just for 100 years, not for 200 years, for well over now 1,000 years, going on 2,000 years. You've been this little tin pot nation in this fertile area with all these superpowers around you and you've managed to stay there, I've done that. I've performed miracles within you, I've prophesied things have happened. Of course, Jesus Christ comes, he lives, he dies, he's raised again to new life from the dead. He pours out his spirit against all odds in the first century. Christianity, which was first described as a cult, flourishes. The Holy Spirit is poured out. The gospel goes to the nation. The church is formed and it's 
moving powerfully through the world as we speak. It is absolutely incredible what God has done in history, in time and space. So that all the nations might see, all the nations serve, and so that all the nations might see. And here's a powerful sign, Cyrus. Of course he fits into that stream of salvation, if that's how God operates in his world. And so now, right, it says in Acts 17, doesn't it? Um, I've shown you that I'm going to judge by the man I've appointed. That's not the right passage. <laughs> so this is further on Acts 17. We'll get to those passages in a minute. Um, but later on in Acts 17, um, it says that I've um, you know, appointed this man to judge and I've proven it to you by raising him from the dead. And so no one now has any excuse. I call everyone everywhere to repent. We talked a few weeks ago about a, a universal judgment and our God is declaring, signposting a universal salvation. Tell your neighbours, tell your friends, it's here in history. And now the time is simply to proclaim and to see people come to God through Christ, turn and repent. And that, when we look at um, Isaiah 45 and we ask this question, why so? And we look at the answer here, it changes the way, right? It changes the way that we look at the world. And that's why this passage has come up, Acts 17. Because getting this um, better down in our hearts and our minds changes the way we view the world. Let me just take you to a few passages. So first of all, Acts 17. It's up there on the screen for you, so you don't need to flip there. But let me just read it for you. It says a remarkable, th a remarkable thing. Acts 17, verses 26 through to 28. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. The students that you rub shoulders with in lectures in shoots, they're there because God has placed them there. And he's not far from any one of us. And he wants all people everywhere to turn to him and to be saved. It changes the way we look at the world. The people that you are around who are in your orbit are there because God wants them perhaps to be saved. Listen to what it says in um, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses... 1 through to 5. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour. Why? Who, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Why should we pray? Because... God wants the church to be busy being churchy and in being churchy, draw people to him through being this alternative community, through being salt and light in the world. Even, even the governing authorities are involved in this plan and we are mobilised to pray as a part of God's plan. Again, it says in uh, Romans chapter 9, this is a very heavy passage, easy to get distracted, but just try and get the point. Romans chapter 9, verse 22 to 24. What if God, so he's talking here about 
election and some people not being chosen for salvation? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and making his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. What's he saying there? He's saying that this is, this is full on. This is really intense, this passage. But it's saying there that even those people who are never saved, who don't come to Christ, are a part of his salvation plan. Do you see that here? Yeah? He's saying, what if he patiently puts up with them to demonstrate his mercy and his grace to those who are being saved, ultimately to bring glory to him, to demonstrate clearly that we're saved by grace and mercy, not because we kind of deserve it. That's what it's pointing out. All of the world has some part to play in God's salvation plan. Romans 13. 1 through 2, 2. Let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. It's incredible, isn't it, what it's saying? How clear it is to the New Testament, how clear it is in Isaiah 45 when God uses Cyrus, that there is no possible way outside of God's rule ultimately in Christ. And there's, there's no possible way out of God's salvation plan. Whether you like it or not, you and I will be wrapped up and playing a part in God's salvation plan. It simply won't do to have this sort of view of the world where there's the Christian kingdom and the worldly kingdom and they run in parallel side by side. No. Whatever authority, whatever power, whatever alternative there might appear to be to Christ and to God in this world is not an alternative at all. It's a permitted rebellion. It's a permitted indifference to God, by God, under God. That's simply allowed to exist because somewhere or another it serves God's salvation plan. It's incredible. So this is a revolution for the Israelites. How can God, this is the Jew in Babylon, how can God use Cyrus of all people? Well, because even Cyrus is my servant. Do you see? Do you get it? And that's even clearer for us as New Testament Christians living under Christ as Lord. So what does this mean for us? Well, a couple of um, implications flow from that. There are many implications, but two that I want to pick on. The first is this. The first is this. And this is a, a, a tangent of an application. Are you a disciple before you're a disciple maker? Are you a disciple before you're a disciple maker? Being a disciple maker is at the heart of our you know, vision mission statement. Uh, you know, we want everyone on campus to know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. But are you a disciple first? Because you can be a part of God's salvation plan without actually being a Christian. The ultimate example, right, is Cyrus. He was powerfully used by God to, to save his people, but he didn't acknowledge God, didn't believe in God. What about that extraordinary passage in uh, Philippians where 
Paul is talking about people who preach the gospel, right, with impure motives. And he says that they're just preaching the gospel in order actually to, to cause trouble. And then he says this really incredible thing. He says, but you know, what do I care ultimately? At least they're preaching the gospel, right? And people will be saved. So they're not saved. But the gospel they're preaching is still effective. Crikey is the word that springs to mind. Not really a good one, not really appropriate to the moment, but crikey. And that should concern you. That should concern you, right? Are you a disciple before you're a disciple maker? God's salvation plan is just going to happen, whether you're on board or not. And you do need to make sure that you're on board with God's salvation. Yourself, personally, that you have a relationship with God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness as a Christian. Secondly, second perhaps more direct implication of this is does your life reflect that everything is a stage for God's work of salvation? Does your life reflect that? Does it order your priorities? Does it change the way that you relate to your friends at uni, your neighbours, the things you do in every sphere of life? because it's all here for that purpose. My favourite, my favourite Oscars moment, uh, sorry, Academy Award moment was, of course, um, the Will Smith event. <laughs> I could not talk about it, I can't. It's just such an epic moment. And, uh, and I was horrified. Were you horrified? I hope you were horrified. I was completely horrified. I reckon they should not have given him his award on the night. I reckon they should have just been gone, Gonskis. But no, he still got it. But that was just, that was the thing that everyone remembers, right, from the last Academy Awards. Like, that's, that's what everyone remembers. And he himself was apologetic that that moment when he slapped Chris Rock, that that completely eclipsed his award in the movie that he was representing. He was apologetic for that, and rightly so, because it completely destroyed the night for them. It should have been a night of glory and honour for them. And uh, it's probably putting too much weight upon you. But the point here is this, is I don't think we understand what an affront it is as human being in God's world that is all about his salvation plan, heading towards everything coming in under the Lordship of Christ, especially for people in the know. That is you. For us to have a casual relationship with Christianity. To have Christianity as a hobby. Or something which sprinkles on top a bit of meaning to our life. Seasons it with a bit of depth. Is a great additional extra to what I'm really on about in life because it gives me great meaningful friendships. Or adds that good dose of morality and moral fibre and ethical perspective which keeps my life balanced. All those views are horribly inadequate. It's an affront to God. It's slapping him in the face to labour, that analogy. But it is. This is God's heartbeat. It's why everything exists. And how are we doing, Christian? with making it our heart's priority to be in sync with God's salvation plan. It says, let me end with this, it says in Philippians chapter 2, right? 
Therefore God exalted him, Christ, after humbling himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a spectacular vision of the end of history. That is where we're heading. Amen. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, um, that it's not just clear in Jesus Christ that you are Lord, you are King, you are ruler over absolutely everything and everything is for the purpose of your salvation work. It's not just in Jesus Christ we see that. We also see it in parts of Scripture like here in Isaiah 45 with Cyrus right there in plain sight. And maybe we've never even really known anything about Cyrus, but here it is in the pages of history. You've used this foreign, powerful, well-powered, powerful king to put into effect your salvation. Help us, God, to see. Help us, God, to be humble. Help us, God, to, to seek you even more fervently because of Isaiah 45. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.